Welcome to the teaching ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. Join our pastors as they share biblical principles of God's transforming grace so that you may learn God's word in order to live God's way. As I mentioned before, Greg and I are a little different. We may look a lot alike, but he's gotten you used to saying amen. I just have to warn you a little bit. If you say amen on me, I, I might stare you down like I do my students when they're talking. Uh, I have a different clientele that I work with most of the time, and noise is usually a bad thing. The other thing is I may just show up and return the favor uh, to you at some point this week. You'll be at home. You'll hear this little voice outside as you're talking on the phone. Preach it, brother! It'll be me. So just to warn you, I might get you back, but feel free. Greg, Greg will be back in, in a little bit. Um, there, thank you. Yeah, that was well-timed. Well-timed. If you make me forget everything that's in my brain doing that, though, we might be here a little while, too. I guess that'd be another warning. Uh, we're going to be all over Scripture today. Hopefully you brought your, your fast fingers, and you're not in a bad way. Um, and your Bibles, because we'll be bouncing back and forth a little bit. But let me pray first. Lord, as we come to your word, as we look a little bit more at some church history, help us to be amazed by who you are, your faithfulness throughout centuries, your faithfulness to your word. It's such a blessing to know that things that you told to Abraham and to Paul are still true today. In a world where the news changes from last night to this morning, often from the mouths of the same people, it's so wonderful to have absolute truth that we find in you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, I don't know if you were paying attention to the news over the last couple weeks. It was a big story when it happened, and then like many things today, it went away in about 12 hours. Uh, but there was a Baptist pastor in Texas who started a little brouhaha a while ago uh, on a political front when he endorsed a candidate and he mentioned another candidate and he referenced the word cult. And the very interesting part about it, you can ask me all you want in the hallways about what I think about the particular situation. The most interesting part to me wasn't even the details, it was the confusion over the word is that there's a word that we know of, it's in the dictionary, and all of a sudden it was being debated as to whether it was or wasn't. It seems pretty simple. Uh, by the way, just as a side note, if you think events from 10 years ago or 20 years ago don't matter, they do greatly as we debate definitions of words in the 90s and we wonder why nobody believes words anymore today. That had a big impact on the students that I work with and their parents as well. The interesting part on this one, cult, is a tricky word because there's another word, occult, that, that we tend to think of wrongly when cult is mentioned. And Juno, throw up that picture of Lucy. When we hear cult, we think occult and we think of witches. If it pops up on the screen. The peanuts are one of my favorite people, groups. That's a very dark picture. <laughs> If you know the Peanuts, you know Lucy, who's one of the cranky ones, and she's 
trick-or-treating, one of my favorite moments in Peanuts history is when Charlie Brown goes to every door and gets a rock and says that over and over, I got a rock. Uh, but Lucy is walking around with him. She has a witch's costume on. We hear cult and we think occult. Those are totally different things. Go look up the definitions on those. Even more interesting, and this was lost. There we go. Pictures of witches. Tame pictures of witches. That is not what a, a, an, a cult is. That is occult. Witches. Those are different. That's magic and, and witches. Um, cult is something very different. A cult, basically, is when one group, a subset of a, a, a bigger group, claims to be that group, and the bigger group says, no, you're not. You aren't us, you claim to be us, and the majority of the group says, no, they're different. Here are the differences. It no longer matters, by the way, what the subset says. That is one case where majority rules wins. Uh, Pastor Greg and I were talking about it. I'm sure Benji jumped in on that too. Um, but I remember a conversation with Greg, and he threw in there one definition. He had found that threw on to cult a time frame of 200 years, uh, which is why Christianity at one point could have been considered a cult of Judaism. If you don't understand it, the Jews would say, no, they're not us. And Paul would say, yes, we are. We're the completion of you. But 200 years after that, at that point, it's just a separate religion so to speak. We would kind of reject that, by the way. But if we wanted to go, th- go off of the terms, that would be okay. Very interesting, by the way, using that def- definition in this particular thing. Even more interesting, though, was what everybody seemed to miss kind of the day after. And I, was, I hopped on CNN.com, and I noticed, it was on my phone actually, but uh, I, I saw a blog uh, on their religion blog, a response to the Texas pastor. And it came from a very well-known religious school, a seminary. It came actually from the president of Fuller Seminary. And this was the really weird part to me. And, I, you know, if you know Fuller, it may or may not surprise you, but actually it did. It surprised me even knowing Fuller. Uh, but he agreed kind of with the popular opinion And then in his article, and this was the tough part, at times he seemed to defend Mormonism as a religion under that definition outside of the 200 years thing. And then at other times he seemed to include them in Christianity. It was a little hard to to figure out, okay, what does he think? But the really interesting part to me was that, and and I went to Biola, so Biola and Fuller were not friends all the time, but... uh, you can ask Chet. Um, by the way, neither are we friends with Westmont, but that's a different story. Okay. But the interesting thing to me wasn't just that our culture would argue and be confused and ignore definition, but that the president of a seminary would struggle with that as well. Because that seems like a relatively, relatively basic thing to me that, that he should have straight of all things. And, and I'm not, we're not going to talk about Mormonism tonight. You can ask me about that if you want to. We're actually going to pick up sort of where Greg left off, but not in Ephesians. He had you stand up and read the Apostles' Creed last week, and, and then he kind of went through it as it related to a, a passage in Ephesians, which he was going through. Don't worry, we're not going to stand tonight, but we are going to continue uh, along those lines of a different 
a, a different way of looking at some core things that we believe. Because Reformation Day is right around the corner. It goes hand in hand with Halloween, only everybody forgets about the Reformation part. We just like the candy and the costumes, at least as a culture. We're going to look at the five solas. Don't worry, I don't speak that language either. So what's up on the screen, that's all the, well, I guess there's one other part of Latin that you're going to get from me tonight. I'll say it wrong, especially one of them. I'm pretty certain I say it wrong, but I like it my way. So just don't quote me. But the five solas come out of the Reformation, and eventually it was kind of, kind of something that they all landed on that said, if you believe this, then you are us. You believe God's word. Like the Apostles' Creed, it was something that you could come around and say, well, this teacher says this, and it fits in these categories, so he has solid biblical theology. And this teacher, no, he, he disagrees with this point. And because he disagrees with that, he doesn't agree with Scripture because this is all from Scripture. It started with Martin Luther. It started actually with some other things too, but that's the real concrete time that we can tie into. Nailing the 95 Theses on the, the, the door of the church, which wasn't vandalism. That was just the way you, you said hello to people back then. And it ended up kind of landing on these five things. There's six up there for a reason. One of them comes in some different forms. But they were sola scriptura, sola fide. This is the one I I think I say wrong, but sola gratia, solo Christo, or sometimes you'll see it solus Christus, and then soli deo gloria. Those are five things that they landed on. And they said, I'll give you some of the English translations for three of those at least tonight. The other two we'll get next week. But they landed on and they said, we believe this. In fact, Luther said, I will die for this. Because that's being faithful to God. And if you challenge these five things, we can disagree on some others. But if you challenge these five things, I say, you are not Christ's and you are not scriptural. That doesn't mean I think you're a bad person. It means I think you're outside the realm of faith. That you are something else that you're different. And they fought for this because it was that crucial. We're going to look at three of them tonight, starting with sola scriptura. Scripture alone, or by scripture alone. That's our sole authority. The first passage, 2 Timothy three fourteen through 17, it's a very familiar one. Awana has this as one of its core verses, our Our kids memorize this. I love that. Hopefully this is not brand new to you, but if it is, great. It's a wonderful passage. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. There's another one of the solos, by the way, but we'll get to that in a minute. 16, all scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The way you and I can faithfully follow Christ is through his word. It trains us, it corrects us, it tells us when we're wrong, it tells us what we need to believe and think, it tells us who we need to be. We find everything about who we are and who God is in this book. 
And if you only had one thing to hold on to for faith, this would be what you need. If your house is burning down, leave your pictures. Grab your Bible. The only reason not to do that, by the way, is you can't replace your pictures. You can go to the bookstore and buy another Bible. But in terms of importance, the pictures aren't the important part. People lived forever without pictures. People shed their blood so that you and I could have ten copies gaining dust on our bookshelves of this book. To put it in a language that we would understand. To make it so that you and I could memorize it and pay attention. Because to be honest, I really don't speak Latin. I'm betting most of you don't either. And that was what it was in when Luther came along and it practically cost him his life to put it in German. We weren't around yet. If he'd have been an English pastor, an American pastor, he'd have put it in English. But he was in Germany. So he put it in German. He had to hide to translate it. Because he believed in that statement. or he, Whether or not he even knew that statement at the time, I didn't remember. Go read a book on that. There are great books written about it. But he believed to the core that the people needed Scripture alone. That if some German peasant could just have the Bible in their hand to read on their own, which they couldn't when it was in Latin. They believed the reason Jesus that passed it on in Greek was because they spoke Greek at the time. The reason God preserved it that way. And the reason it was in Hebrew originally was because they were Hebrews. <laughs> it wasn't because it was a magical language. It's because it's the language they spoke. And as they shemad, which we've talked about before, that was just their common language so they could say it and pass it on to their kids and grandkids and their neighbors and write it on a doorpost and be reminded there's one God and I was made to serve Him. Only Scripture. Scripture alone. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. If you have a concern and you don't know what to do about it, you go to Scripture and you find the answer there. If you have a joy and you want something to support it even more and give it greater strength and value, you find it in Scripture. Which is why at the beginning of and throughout wedding ceremonies, we at Grace read God's Word to remind us where purpose in marriage comes from. It's not from society. It's not from a piece of paper from a court. It's from God. Scripture alone. A second passage on that, 1 John chapter 2, 26 and 27. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you... The anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Here's the neat, other neat, and as a pastor's scary part of Scripture alone. All you need is you and the Bible and the Holy Spirit. 
This is why Gideon, the Gideon ministry works so well. I mean, think about what would happen if you needed more than the Bible. There's a whole group of businessmen that go to hotels and put a Bible in a drawer and close it and walk away. If not for Scripture alone, that would be the stupidest ministry that you could ever imagine. I don't agree with that statement before you panic. But if it weren't for that statement, Scripture alone, really, if it weren't for the truth behind that statement, that all we need is in a hotel room is to grab a Bible, which we maybe never paid attention to before, and God working in our heart, and we're reading His Word, and all of a sudden it clicks and it makes sense. And you get a businessman who's about to make a horrible decision with either a lady coming to his hotel room or what he's going to do with the television set. And as he reaches for the clicker or the phone number, he pulls out a drawer and there's a Gideon Bible that was left there. He says, I'm going to pay attention to this. And he flips it open and and I'm sure there are guides in there of where to go. But he turns to John 3.16. Or even better, John 4. The woman at the well and says, something's wrong with my life. And there's a God who cares. And he's talking about grace. He's talking about weird things like being born again. I don't, I don't get that. But I think I need to read more. So he turns the TV off or he locks his door and doesn't answer the knock and he sits in a chair and he just reads. And God transforms his life because it's through scripture alone. What that means is, and this is why it was shocking, why it produced a reformation, you don't need me to tell you what to think. I mean, you need somebody to share the gospel. You need a Gideon to put the Bible there. You need a neighbor to bring you a little gift bag with an ESV Bible in it and maybe some cookies and to say, hey, would you come to this event? By the way, just if you have some spare time, football's off or, you know, it's not your football team because there's no L.A. team to cheer for. Sit down and read it and see what happens. Read John. Read Romans. You write a little note, ask me questions if you have them, but you don't need me, to be honest. I've passed the gospel on to you. Now it's you and God wrestling it out like he did with Israel. Israel's the new name, but you know what I mean. With Jacob. That's all you need. You don't need a priest to tell you, you don't need, and this is why it was important, when they would come to church, they would sit, and the person in my position would spout Latin to them nonstop, which is great if you speak Latin, but they didn't. So they'd walk home. That's why they had pictures of naked people up on the screen, on the screens, I said screens, sorry, up on on the ceiling. We use screens now, they use the ceiling and the walls. That would be the Sistine Chapel, if you're wondering why I mentioned naked people, but And they taught the Bible pictorially because they had no clue what the priest was saying up front. And he might help them at one point by telling them, well, this is what I talked about. And they'd go home and the Bible was not part of their life at all because they couldn't access it. And the reformers said, Scripture 
alone. No pastor or priest. No commentaries needed to get it right. You don't need J. Vernon McGee, by the way. He is a great guy. Love my grandma. Uh, my, I'm a pastor. My dad's a pastor. And my brother-in-law are, are, is a pastor as well. And it's a kick. The three of us would be talking to grandma. And you know who won every theological debate. My grandma did. Because she listened to J. Vernon McGee. Here's the thing, though. Even when she didn't win, she still won. Because if J. Vernon McGee said it, there was no correcting her. Some of you know what I'm talking about, and others of you want to know why I'm blaspheming Jay Vernon McKee right now, but he is great. I love him, but he has certain followers. That Jay Vernon McGee is a great resource, and I'll come back to that in a minute, but you don't need him. You need God's Word. The reason he's a great resource is he used God's Word. That's what made him great. He had great source material, and he acknowledged that all the time. But we don't need him. There's no counsel of men needed to set you straight. When we need advice, we shouldn't be going to the internet or the radio, John Tesh radio show. I love, actually, I'm kind of geeky that way, but I, I love John Tesh. Um, not his music, just his advice, but uh, I get a kick out of it. It makes me laugh when I'm going home. But, and it's not that any of those are wrong. It's just that they're not essential. They're valuable, not essential, and that's a key difference. Here's how I know they didn't think those things were wrong. Luther wrote commentaries. Luther preached to people. It wasn't that they stopped those things. It's that they put them in the proper perspective. It said, no, we've gotten this out of whack. We're, it's backwards. It's not a council of men that decide what God's word is. It's God who decides that and a council of men that are smart enough to say what he said. <laughs> Just do what he said. He's God. Just, just go with that. They may or may not have invented the internet either. Some people have claimed you know, that, but I guess it wasn't the, the reformers that did that. But, but they did everything else. Commentaries, preaching, they wrote books, and those are all wonderful resources. Use them. There's a whole group of Christians that run so far away from those things they get themselves in trouble. Ladies, if you're looking for one written by a woman and not a guy... Elizabeth Elliot, great stuff. Actually, I've never read it. My wife says it's great stuff. I have one of her books. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. That's the first one, Sola Scriptura. That's the one I'm going to spend the most time on tonight, by the way, in case you're panicked. Since, I just figured since we're doing theology class, I had you know two hours and 40 minutes like, like they take when you have a once-a-week class at school. The second one, Sola Fide. By faith alone, semper fi. So you've heard that before, even though it's in Latin. Sola fide. By faith alone. We are saved by faith alone. If that's brand new to you, you haven't been paying attention to Scripture for, if you're reading it. But you can picture Martin Luther. That was a, if you can picture Martin Luther, I should say, that was a big struggle for him. Not because he doubted it, but because the entire system that he was part of, he was a religious leader at the time, challenged it. And he's reading verses like Ephesians, we'll get to in a minute, and Romans 1, that's the one we're going to now, Romans 1, 17.
And he reads, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And he reads that and he says, I've got this sin problem and I've heard over and over and over and over and over again, I need to go and I need to pray this prayer so many times, I need to go and I need to do these things. I'm selling indulgences to people. And there's all this do, 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 do. And this says, you didn't do anything. You don't do anything. And that doesn't mean that our faith needs to be lived out. But it means we didn't earn it. It's by faith alone. Justification is by faith alone. This one and the next one are very similar, but it's a righteousness from God. It's a righteousness that comes through faith, not faith in works. There's a reason that the thief on the cross that turned to Christ can go to heaven. And if it was faith in works, he'd still be out of luck. But he isn't because the God of grace said it's grace. said it's faith, not works. And there are a lot of important things and truths that we should live out because we are saved. But none of them are lived out in order to be saved. It's by faith alone. The reason God loves you is because he loves you. It's not because you wore a suit today. I don't mean to, be, to offend anybody on that. But it simply isn't. It's because God's a loving God. He's amazing. And he saves us. And we believe. And it's credited to us as righteousness, Romans 4. It's credited us to us as righteousness. From the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. It means there's no room for anything else. There's no room to add in anything. It's not faith in baptism. Baptism is great, but it doesn't save you. Faith does. It's not by faith and being a great spouse, which is good, because we aren't. Some of us are okay spouses. If right now your spouse is saying, you're a good spouse, just call them a liar right now. And just, no, hopefully they are. Hopefully they are. But if they are, it's only because of God in their life. I'll tell you that. First to last, the righteous will live by faith. Galatians 2.16. Flip with Flip to there with me. Galatians 2.16. Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If it's dependent on anything else, we don't live it out well enough. If it's faith and anything, we're still stuck in sin and we have no hope. By faith alone. One more, Philippians 3. Past Philippians, sorry. Philippians 3, 
verse 7 through 9. I don't know if any of you have taken Benji up in his challenge to read through Philippians. I have, and I'm loving it. I miss every once in a while. But read it. If you haven't, it's not too late to jump in. Read it straight through once a day if you can. Neat thing about that, especially with the books. Now, if anybody ever challenges you to read Genesis straight through every single day, that one's tough. Psalms is even harder. But the smaller letters, even Romans, which is 16 chapters, you can, you can take those on in a day. This one's only four chapters. It takes you 20 minutes, 15 if you're a fast reader, maybe a half hour if you're a little slower reader. There's this amazing thing called iPods, by the way. You can listen to it. If, you're, if you hate reading, listen to it. But I'd encourage you to read through it and then try to memorize it. Even if you fail miserably, you'll still be better off for having tried because it'll be bouncing around your head somewhere. Our brains are great that way. Philippians 3, 7 through 9. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Again, it just proves that point over and this is you could go to almost any scripture and find this if you're paying attention but justification is by faith alone works are an evidence of faith that's James but they are not a producer of faith if we truly believe and we're reading his word it will show in fruit not every day well, it will show somehow in every day, but not every moment of every day. The interesting thing here is that caused no end of discussion of because it just does. It's tough. Well, well what then am I, am I supposed to look like? What do I do? What, how do I respond to this? What now? I'm saved, so what happens then? I encourage you, there's a great chapter in C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. I've been reading it with Juno. Um, chapter 12 really is the one. It's in book 3, chapter 12. I'd encourage you to read the whole third book. It's, it's a book that has four books in it. It's really weird. But the third book in it is talking about just this tension of, okay, it is all by faith, but how do I live out that faith then? And, and what do we do? It's a great section, and it also, Luther's response kind of in regard to this was, here's the other Latin I'll throw out your way, simul justice et peccator. And basically is at the same time justified and a sinner. So, but it's through faith alone. It's just this amazing thing. I am justified and yet I still sin from time to time. All the more reason to fall upon grace and cry out. By the way, I just have to say, some of, some of that information on, on the solos came out of Wikipedia, which was amazingly accurate on this one. It's known sometimes for being not so, but it was simple but it's pretty accurate. I liked it. The third one, last one for tonight, but the third one, sola gratia, by grace alone. Very similar, but by grace alone. Go to Ephesians on this one. Very well-known passage. You're going to hear faith in this. You're going to hear grace. It's a pretty significant passage for our faith. Ephesians 2, verse 5. Pastor Greg, by the way, talked about this a couple weeks ago, so I don't want to spend too much time here. Just go find his sermon. It was, it was very good. Verse 5, 
made it, picking it up mid-sins, but made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Hear them both together? It's really cool. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. By faith alone, by grace alone, we don't get any bragging rights about anything. We can only point to the cross. We can only point to Scripture and say, by Scripture alone. I know that I am saved by grace and by faith alone. I have no room for any claim in any other regard. That's it. Another passage Romans 3.24, you know that verse that you should have kept memorizing to, but you stopped one verse before? Just on a side note, I'd, I'd highly encourage you, memorize passages, not just verses. There are times to memorize verses, for sure. Make sure you know the passages around them, because to be honest, this one, you should have memorized one verse each direction. I could even argue for more than that. But Romans 3.22-24 to 24. We lose this sometimes because we only memorize 3.23, which is a great verse. But so are the other two. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. That's talking about Jew or Gentile right there. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Again, grace alone is how we're saved. Grace alone is why we have hope. Grace alone is why we look forward to heaven. And grace alone is why you or I maybe decide not to sin tonight in that area that keeps dragging us down and we keep failing and we're praying to God and we're saying, Lord, get rid of this and we succeed tonight. It's not because of you and me. It's because of grace. That's why I make it tonight if I succeed in the face of temptation unmerited, unearned favor, grace. It's our name. I think Pastor Benji said this a Sunday or two ago. If, if we don't get this and it's all in the building, we're in big trouble. It's what we shout to our neighbors and our coworkers. Grace. I put it on t-shirts and send kids to school in it. Grace. And I hope that they get it that they live it out, that in, in conversations with a friend, they show them grace instead of anger or condemnation. I pray for truth also, sola scriptura. That's important. What you're doing is wrong, but I'm not calling you evil. I mean, sin is evil. I'm not calling you anything I haven't called myself. I'm not looking down on you. I'm just pointing out this is God's standard and you failed it. And I fail it all the time. But I have a reason for hope because through the cross, I don't have to fear that. I know forgiveness because I know grace. I know Christ. Now let me tell you about how you can know him too. One more verse for tonight, 1 Timothy four sixteen. It's one of my favorite verses in scripture. I have too many to count, but I still have some. This is what the reformers were calling the church. 
Christians as a whole back to 1 Timothy 4.16. Watch your life and doctrine closely because it matters. It matters what we believe. It matters what somebody else who calls them our name believes. It matters if somebody's walking around with a grace t-shirt on and they're saying the opposite of grace. It matters. I need to call them on that appropriately and lovingly, but I need to call them on that and say, you don't understand it. You can't claim to know Christ and His Word and to be tied to this church and make that statement or live that way or treat somebody that way. It doesn't work. Because how we live and what we believe, doctrine and life, matter. And so we come back to some things, and one of those is the five solas. You don't have to memorize it in Latin. It doesn't matter. There's not a test. But it does matter that it's in you, whether you can explain it or not. That it's Scripture alone, that it's faith alone, that it's grace alone that you cling to. There's two more. We'll get to that next week. Some things to wrap that up. Know our history and why it matters. Because it's significant. It, it may not be the most crucial thing in the world, but you can avoid some really embarrassing situations. I have a, a, a tape recording. Uh, it's on tape, not CD. That's really... No, it is CD. It's like 1990s now. But it's, it's on CD. And uh, it, was a, it was a convention I couldn't make it to or that I couldn't make it to that part of the convention. And I wanted to hear it. It was a really weird topic, so don't ask me what it was. But... Afterwards, somebody came up to talk to the speaker and the tech guy in the back forgot to turn the mic off, which is a bad tech no-no. We try to avoid that every once in a while. It happens. The speaker also has this amazing mute button up here, which they can turn it off as well. Everybody forgot. So interestingly, did the, DV, or the CD maker forget to edit that out. I can't figure out that one, but everybody who bought the CD of that seminar heard the discussion afterwards. And there was a guy... Some of you, this will be funny too for obvious reasons. There was a guy at a Lutheran church. Now keep in mind who we just talked a little bit about. Martin Luther. Reformation. Separation from Catholicism. And the youth pastor, I love my colleagues. Sometimes we're not very smart. The youth pastor asked the seminar leader, or, or was talking with the seminar leader about this awful moment at his church when he had given to his youth group these great bracelets made up of beads to remind them to pray that as they walked around school, they could grab a bead and spin it and pray. Okay, the rest of the world calls that a rosary. This guy apparently didn't know that, but... And, and he couldn't understand why the parents at this Lutheran church, Martin Luther Reformation, were so offended by the bracelets, rosaries, <laughs> that he'd given to their kids. And the speaker agreed with them. And I'm thinking, wow, we, youth pastors really need to step it up here a little bit. I'm like, whether or not it's right or wrong, I mean, if it's, if it's a bracelet, I wear some bracelets. They remind me of some things. If it reminds you to pray, great. It's like the reason we had church bells that would ring from time to time. It was a citywide call to prayer. That was a great thing until, you know, two weeks into it, you got used to the bells and you stopped remembering to pray. But there was nothing inherently wrong with that. However, if you're in a Lutheran church, the way you survive as a youth pastor is don't give rosaries to the kids. It's a simple rule. 
He forgot his church history if he ever knew it. You just don't do that. There are certain things as a Baptist youth pastor I know we're not going to do. It's not that it's wrong as a Christian to do them. It's that it's wrong as a Baptist to do that as the youth pastor. It maybe has changed a little bit, but you know, if you're wondering what those are, don't ask me. I like my job. But know your history. It matters. We have a great significant day, and it's not spelled out in Scripture But what it's based upon finds its source in Scripture. It's Reformation Day. Know who and why and what it cost them. Before you let, seriously, I have 10, 20 Bibles in my office. If you need one, I have plenty to give you. The funny thing is I won't go to that stack. I'll go get it from a different one. But before you let it gather more dust, be amazed at what some Christians went through to put it in your hands. And then pray for somebody like Tim and Tiffany Lanier who are trying to translate a copy of that for the Papua New Guinea tribe they get to go to. We take this for such granted. I don't think that's a proper sentence, but we take it for granted. There we go. Use it. Be thankful for it. Share it with some other people who maybe don't have it. Pray for those who are trying to do that. If you can't, go do it yourself. Second, more importantly, know what we believe and why. If you don't know anything about church history, it's okay. If you don't know anything about Scripture, it is not okay. Now, if this is your first time ever being in a church, it is okay for the moment. We want to help you out with that. Because this is God's word. And you don't need me. You need him through it. But know what you believe and why. And when you find something that doesn't fit, that was Martin Luther's crisis moment. Romans 1.17, Ephesians 2, and a couple others. I've got a wrong way of thinking. And I'm letting that affect other people. I need to change. That's a tough moment. But always come back to Scripture. Know what you believe and why. Of course, that means you have to know his word and his grace. You'll never know what's in here if you don't read it yourself. If you're just waiting and depending upon Pastor Benji, as great as he is, and Pastor Greg, as great as he's doing on Sunday nights, and me, the like two times a year you get to hear me. (laughs) You can always join you staff, by the way. But... If you're depending on us, you're never going to know it, at least not as well as you could. And people shed their blood for that, for that privilege. Read it daily. Keep coming back to it, and you will be amazed at how wonderful it is. Next week, we're going to look at two more and the 95 Thesis. It's a pretty significant document, even if you don't know what it is. I'd encourage you, go Google it, look it up. Ask me for a copy. Read it this week. Uh, It's not the most exciting reading, to be honest. Every time I read it, I'm reminded why we just talk about it. We never look at it. But take a look at it anyways. It's a significant moment in your life and my life, even if you don't realize it. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for men and women who gave their lives so that I could hold your words in my hand. But above all, I thank you that you are a God who cared about me enough that you would speak to me. 
that you would speak to the world and say, I am your God and you need to know me. Lord, help us to be faithful in reading your word on our own in believing it when it says something and in sharing it so that others could know you as well. You are so wonderful to us, Lord. Thank you. Amen. Our hope is that today's message empowers you by God's grace to live God's way. For more information, visit us online at gracebath.net.